Greetings, my lovelies. Do you want to know the secrets of how to become a successful entrepreneur starting from Philadelphia and ending up on the streets of Hollywood with a hit show around the world on Netflix? Well, stay tuned. We're going to be diving in with Kevin Creda from Bling Empire on Netflix. Massive hit around the world now. That's coming up next. Pete Lorimer podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome someone who I admire, someone who has a brilliant story, someone who has taken risks, someone who continues to take risks and battles inner demons like the rest of us. Um, And so I want to invite to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Kevin Creda from Bling Empire one of the top hit shows on Netflix right now. Kevin. Thanks, Peter. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Is it weird that I clap for myself? (laughs) No, I often do it quietly. Yeah, no one's, no one else is clapping. I'm just like, ah. (laughs) There's nothing nothing wrong with it. I sometimes go into a little, I get into a quiet room and just give myself a little round of applause now and again. No, I've never done that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway. (laughs) We're getting deep already. We're getting deep already. So I'm going to start with where you are now, Kevin, because to the outside world, you are, you know, you're like a dude that's like, he made it. He's in Hollywood. He's on a hit show. He's the star of a hit show. It's known around the world. And, And I think people become a little kind of almost immune to to, to, to knowing that there is a story behind everyone, right? And the podcast, uh, one of the reasons people tune in to, into this podcast is we like to explore the entrepreneurial journey of my guests. And you're a friend as well, mm-hmm. someone that I, I love and admire. And let's start with where you are now. Let, can you tell everybody about your show yeah, and, and sure. uh, what's going on? Yeah, so Netflix uh, reality show, their first all Asian reality show, um, Asian American that is, it released four weeks ago, a little bit more, and it just took off. It went internationally, number one in most countries um, and top 10 in the US for about two weeks. And it just got so much attention and press. Uh, So this whole new idea that I made it quote unquote is very new to me. It's only been about a month. So, so much has changed. I have more of a team behind me. I have agents uh, who are now working for me, top-notch agents for branding, commercial, uh, non-scripted speaking. Um, And so it's just an amazing journey. It's an amazing turnaround. I mean, I knew it would be a big deal. I didn't know what the life is like when it's a big deal though. Um, and so it's kind of a new, interesting life perspective. Cause I, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I feel the same, except once in a while I'll, I'll talk to you and be like, my head's really numb right now. There's just so much coming my way. I have no idea what to do. <laughs> and so that's the only difference I think, but yeah, that's so where I'm at. Let's touch on this, right? Because, uh, you know, it's almost like Gary Vee said he was an overnight success after posting for 12 yeah. years consistently <laughs> on social media. Let's talk about this. I'm going to kind of gradually, not gradually, I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to start with this, which is, can you tell people where you were just 12 short months ago? Sure. Uh, 12 short months ago, I was back in Philadelphia, probably. I mean, I lived here in Los Angeles, but I was back in Philadelphia. Uh, Our show was actually released uh, delayed. It was delayed because of COVID and all of the political climate going around in the U.S. and the world. And so I was back at home with my parents just wondering, oh, my God, it's going to get pushed back again. Is it going to actually even air? Like all of the sacrifice, hard work and opportunity could just disappear. And so there's a lot of uncertainty. But the one thing that I wanted to do was spend time with my family. And so I still work on other projects while during this down period, I started up a development of a TV show. Show uh, that I have work uh, working with a writing partner right now. Um, other scripts about Korean adoptees and the Asian American experience. So work uh, working on a memoir, like all of these different projects, all around the Asian American, specifically the Korean adopted experience. 
Amazing. Amazing. So what I want to kind of bring home to everyone is, you know, 12 months ago, Kevin was still slugging away at this, but nothing, nothing had happened. The show was getting made, but you were just a, I mean, you still are a regular guy, but you were just a regular guy in LA, right? Between LA and Philly. Regular guy saying, Hey, I'm, I'm working on a show. Oh, everybody is here, Kevin. (laughs) Oh, uh, I'm writer. Oh, everybody is Kevin. I'm a model. Oh yeah. Next, you know, just like everything right. to say that, right? So let's now skip back because your journey to Hollywood is something that you know you didn't you didn't just luck into it. You didn't just you know you. I know the backstory in this, and you chipped away, and you worked, and you worked, and you worked, and you made a documentary, and <laughs> you have a very specific upbringing. So let's can we go back to kind of. The, the the genesis of Kevin Creed, or where did Kevin yeah. Creed come from? Yeah. How, how, where did your journey begin? Like, literally, it started when I was born and given up for adoption right away from my birth parents. And so then at three years old, I was adopted into an American white family in Philadelphia. Uh, and I was just a normal kid uh, until I realized I wasn't normal. Like, I was in a white community and uh, kids have no filter and they were very, very obvious, uh, obviously making fun of me and making me feel different because I was Asian. And I didn't know what Asian was until then, until I was probably in kindergarten or something or first grade. And then I got really self-conscious about being Asian for a very long time. Um, and so that journey really was just my identity as an, a, a Korean adoptee, by the way, because the Korean adoption experience is a little bit different than the Asian American because we have white parents. We have a white and Americanized upbringing a little bit more than Asian or a third generation Asian here in America. So we kind of feel how Asian Americans feel, but just like 10 times more, you know, just feeling like we're not white enough or Asian enough for the communities or America. Like we're a citizen here. We know nothing else but America, but like at times we don't feel like we're accepted as American here. So that journey started when I was really young. So you had uh, uh, in your most formative years, you had uh, maybe a struggle of of not knowing where you kind of where you should land. Where I should I can belong. Imagine. Yeah, it yeah. must be very very confusing. Right. Uh, imagine if you don't know math and science very well, and your stereotype for Asians is you should be good at math and science, and you suck at it, and you don't know martial arts at all. It's like where do you find your place in the world? <laughs> That's so trippy. <laughs> it is. It's uh, so weird. So how did you, so, so obviously this affected you, this affected Kevin. I can imagine, you know, you internalized a lot of this. I mean, you and I are, are friends and, uh, and, you know, we mentor each other in life anyway. Um, and we've spoken about this kind of off camera, but when, when, when you kind of internalized this stuff and you were like, no, I want to, I want to break out of these stereotypes. I want to just be Kevin. What what was the, the cathartic moment that, that propelled you forward? Definitely. I mean, I definitely felt hopeless and powerless and almost like the, actually I played the victim for a very long time, but I think it's normal because you have to realize at one point that this isn't working for you. And I realized very shortly it wasn't working for me. I was like, what is the one thing that I can control and change, even though it might not be ideal for me? And it was actually my body. Like I literally got into fitness and working out more. And I was like, well, you know, good bodies get attraction and you feel good. They're confident. And so I started working out more and gained a little bit more confidence and gained a little bit more, uh, I guess, attention and just uh, admiration from white guys and white girls. Um, it wasn't so much the Asian girls growing up, actually. They thought I was too Americanized and too white then. And so oh it, God, it's yeah. so confusing. It's so confusing complex if you're not Asian, you know, like it's very, because I I don't think any races except for maybe the black community actually understand this very much. You know, it's like, uh, you're just not, you're just not perfect for either fit. Right. You you know, it's, it's very interesting to, to the listeners, uh, and to the listeners and viewers, I sound like I'm on an old BBC show from like the, (laughs) hello, hello viewers. Uh, I'm married to an Asian woman. I'm married to a Vietnamese, uh, woman, Cindy. 
And she, we, I will tell you this, this is how subtle racism can be that I experienced with her. So we were in Wyoming, right? We were at Jackson Hole on vacation with the kids and I like to go exploring. So we went off into the mountains and then we found this super cute log cabin, um, smoke coming out of it and it said hot chocolate. It was freezing. So I'm like, okay, let's go in there. It was so picturesque. And we went in and there was three dudes uh, with their guns next to them uh, and it just fell silent. When they, they, when they all, saw you as Cindy? <laughs> I didn't know this, dude. I was like, I was oblivious. So we walked in and 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 I said, can I get, you know, three uh, hot chocolates? And he charged me like 30 bucks. Get out of and, here. And I, I, I was a little, I was like a little freaked out, but I'm like, whatever. He sees I'm a tourist, big deal, no big deal. Peter, the did guys you- who were... Did they? Did you think like, oh, they must have seen my show? They're like starstruck or something. No. They're like, oh, they must have stayed. They must have seen stay here, you know? No, 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 I don't think so. Uh, this is actually pre-stay here. Oh, okay. But we, uh, um, if you ever want to see a show where that's nowhere near as good as Kevin's, uh, you Still can watch. Wonderful. Well, you too. I watched it all. It's great. Oh, yes, you're too sweet. But so we were in Wyoming, right? And we're in this log cabin down this road with deer prancing around. It was so picturesque. These three dudes who were, you know, I, I don't really know what they were, what their job occupation was, but they were having breakfast and they just literally put their forks down, grabbed their guns and walked out. And no. I thought it was because we were city slickers, right? Oh, yeah. Cindy goes, did you see that? She said they walked out and they looked at me as if I was a piece of crap. Yeah. And she said, that is, that's racism right there. And and it was so subtle that I can only imagine, it was almost undetectable to me, a white guy. I thought it right. was other things. And she said, that's <clears throat> what you get. Well, there were other things that were forms of racism that was subtle even to me. And I'm Asian. Uh, when my first compliment from any girl was, you're you're looking for an Asian guy. Like that was actually a form of racism because then they would say, I don't ever date Asian guys. And it's like, oh you literally just excluded a single entire race with that one sentence. If that isn't racism, then I don't know what is, but here's the thing. I did it was subtle for me because it felt like a compliment at the time. Right. And right. there's something about feeling a little special, like, Oh, I'm a little bit different than those other guys then. And you kind of play into it for a little bit. And so I played into it cause it was enjoyable cause it was the best thing I was getting at the time. I can only imagine just you know, being raised by uh, I've, I've uh, uh, spoken to you when you've been at your dad's house and your parents seem like absolutely lovely, lovely, lovely folk. Yeah. So I can imagine, you know, growing up in this in, in a way that you thought was one thing and then it ended up turning out to be something else, totally. which was not not bad, but it must be very it must be very jolting. So. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about your documentary because I feel sure. like that's where the birth of of Kevin the the artist. I mean, we can t- we, b- before that if you want to uh, see the genesis of Kevin's career. I don't want to gloss over this, but you were featured in men, Men's Health, mm-hmm. Men's Fitness. I mean, you were a very prominent model on a global level, if you want to share on that for a second. Yeah. To a certain extent, because it was, it was a lot of fitness stuff I was modeling in. Um, I was a shirtless model at uh, Abercrombie and Fitch, the fifth Avenue store, you know, just getting photos with girls and stuff. But I could, even when I was working there, I could feel a sense of, uh, you know, I don't really want a photo with an Asian shirtless guy. I would sometimes see the girls go in and bring like a white guy or a black guy out and take photos with them instead. You know, there's, the, the stuff stung a little bit, but my thing is though, my message has always been the same and my purpose, which has always been, I need to do something about this. I want to, something's calling me to change that perception of how Asian men are seen in media, modeling, all that kind of stuff. And for a while I decided to just try to be that message, right? It was just show up to castings, but it just ate up at me so much. So I started speaking about it. 
But then I got shut down because a lot of people 12 years ago didn't know what that stuff was. They're like, what do you mean there's racism in dating towards Asian guys? It's just a preference, you know, um, and all that kind of stuff. So it really confused me for a little bit. Spent years kind of talking it through with people, articulating how I was feeling, what was really going on. That led me to uh, some videos on YouTube, which then got the attention from Huffington Post. Actually, they did a, a big, big thing on me that led me into everything that I have right now. A documentary was made just because of one of those videos. I got into a TED Talk after the documentary and the TED Talk became part of the documentary, but it got the eyes of filmmakers and some producers. And they were like, we need this message to get out there. And by the way, those two producers are both Asian women. Amazing. So let's talk about the documentary because it was a really heartfelt (laughs) Uh, kind of self-portrait. Where can people mm-hmm. find this documentary? Because I'm sure there are people who yeah. are watching right now who are saying, he, he's telling my story. He's telling my story. So, yeah. so where can they find that? We've had so many people ask. And right now we actually took it off online because we're looking for distribution. But um, if it doesn't get distribution, they can just follow me on my social media and I'll post up where they can watch it afterwards if it doesn't get distribution. But we're hoping something on an online streaming platform. And then if it doesn't get there, we'll we'll just distribute it ourselves because the whole point of this wasn't to make money from the documentary. It was just for Asian guys to feel heard and seen and to see like there is hope you can get past this uh, uh, form of a barrier of Asian masculinity and media and all that kind of stuff. And just see a journey of like struggle and hope and, uh, you know, success at the end. So one of the things that I, I, I love about successful people and I love about entrepreneurs is there, there, there comes a point where there's a crossroads, right? You were successful. You, you still are, but you were successful as a model. You were you were successful in in being a representation of of the Asian male community. You had all of this success, which it would have been very easy for you to just kind of you know stay in the same lane, keep going. But you had a crossroads where it was like, no, I want to kind of, I want, I want to go for it. I want to risk it and I want to go for it. Can you walk us through that, that mindset? So I actually lost it all back in 2013. Um, I was at a crossroads right there where it was just, you know, uh, I was drugs, alcohol, all that stuff. Right. And just wasn't doing me very well. I had uh, medication and just wasn't working anymore. It was making me more numb and depressed. Actually depressed was the only feeling I could have. And so then I got off medication, moved back to Philadelphia, took care of my health. And there was a crossroads when actually I got sober um, in 2015. Uh, and it was seriously 2016, actually. And it was serious. I can't do math. It was seriously one of <laughs> <laughs> it was seriously the crossroads for me because I was like my life and I don't feel good about my life. It has to get better because what I'm doing is just not working. I know what I'm trying to convey to the world is right, but it's not coming across from a genuine place or some place of vulnerability. So like I had to put all that stuff down in my life, uh, drugs, alcohol, um, and just live a sober life. And literally so quickly within a year, my life changed. Um, and then I got opportunities, uh, through sharing the message because I just be, got the courage to become myself. I feel like all the extra substances were trying to uh, make me a person that I wanted to be. And then I take that away. I'm like, I feel everything. And then I had to learn how to actually be comfortable in my own skin. And then once that happened, I became so comfortable being around Asians and learning more about Asian culture and, and loving Asian culture and people and and then just speaking my truth you know, just speaking my authentic truth, whether people believe it or not, because if you looked at me, you would be like, this guy doesn't face emasculation or dating problems. But I did for a very long time. I don't now, but I'm just saying, you know, but I don't now, but it was for a long time. I, I sent, I dealt with that stuff. You, you just said something so beautiful that I think is so crucial to the, to this interview, which, you know, I, I can relate. I'm an Englishman and, and in England, the Brits are known to kind of pound the pints a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and y- when you were using substances, um, y- you found, 
you thought it would help, but what in fact it did was totally cloud your your direction and your vision. It did, definitely. Uh, and and so just for people who are out there who are listening, who might, you know, a lot of people have dreams. I've I've worked a lot with creatives my entire life, and and drugs and alcohol kind of are very much a big part of that community. And I, I know a lot. I've encountered a lot of people throughout my my life who who drink heavily and do drugs to kind of shut the voices down. And I, I've known men who I love and adore who I could see decades have slipped away. And the beautiful thing that you just said was when you, you the clarity you were looking for and the escapism that you looked for, maybe with substances, you found with a clear mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And so that, where did that, once you got clarity, what happened next? It was, okay, what I'm doing isn't what I want to do anymore. It was because I was still personal training, doing fitness. And I was like, man, I really don't want to do this. I, I Why did I want to do fitness and nutrition? And right, well, it was because I wanted to change my body first. I wanted to be seen different from the outside world, but I also wanted to see myself differently. But then I started to get clarity. I'm like, this isn't working for me anymore. It did for a little bit, but fitness was a tool, a way for me to express myself. It wasn't supposed to be my life's purpose. Um, so then I started speaking about my past and what made me who I am today and the things that I do to overcome things and to help other people out, like the Asian guys first, right? And then I started to get so much feeling of uh, fulfillment of getting closer to fulfilling my purpose. And that kept driving me and driving me. And, and that's the thing. I kept going back to it after 12 years, but now with the clarity and the right timing, it seemed like the right thing. And this was before crazy rich Asians came out, by the way, like right, all right, of this right, stuff. Right, right. So all of a sudden everything aligned and it's because I kept going at it and just knowing like, this is my purpose, but why isn't, isn't it not manifesting in itself? It's because I didn't have the right mindset for it. I didn't have oh, the clarity. Wait. I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready for it, Peter. Like if I would have had that five years ago, 10 years ago, I would have blown it all up. And I know that. Oh my God. This is such a, such a, 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 a crucial, a crucial point that, um, you know, it's like I, I started the post- podcast by saying Gary Vee was an overnight success after posting for 12 years. Mm-hmm. You know, your journey began how many years ago? 12, 14 years ago, at least. Right. So you're an overnight success uh, after 14 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I mean, you've had you've had massive success in, in many arenas, but there is a, such a key component, such a crucial component. I've been lucky enough to interview awesome entrepreneurs they all say the same thing, which is the more they give it away, the more mm. successful they become. Totally. And uh, almost to the point of it, I could hear in, in, in what you were saying, you kind of kept giving it away, not really even necessarily knowing the end result. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. It would always be just sharing my story, like what I did for my for my personal health and mental health for Asians. And then all of a sudden it was just... I never, I never got a dime from that. And so then it led into more opportunities and some people would call it branding, right? I just said to myself, I was just speaking my authentic truth. And, and then I just kept going on and on. And now I have this opportunity to just be and represent as that Asian guy that I imagined a long time ago, which is just being a cool, sexy dude and, and just really beyond Asian, you know, and now with Bling Empire, it's like, I get so many people just reaching out a lot of women, different colors, different ages, just saying, man, you're just so amazing. And like, you're hot and not dot, dot, dot for an Asian guy, which is what every Asian guy's dream is, is just to be seen as not an Asian guy, but like just an attractive person or a successful entrepreneur. So it broke so many boundaries. It's, it was quite amazing. It, it, it is so subtle. It, it, it is absolutely so, so, so subtle. <laughs> and, and I, I want, I, when I was talking about this with uh, some of my pals about you going to be on the show, um, tell us about the cast, right? Uh, uh, because are they are they real? Are they really billionaires? Let's talk about it. Yeah, they they really are. But you know, Kane, my buddy on there, he's not a billionaire. I mean, his his family is. 
<laughs> so that's why they're like, why, why, why do you have a shoe rack in your apartment? If you're a billionaire, it's like, well, his dad doesn't give him billions. He, he still has to work for it. Uh, you know, obviously he has a little bit of advantages, like an allowance and stuff, but that's what I like about the guy so much. Like he's, he's not the typical trust fund baby. Like he still has to work, which I really admire. Like he loves just, he loves Buddhism, which is kind of crazy. Uh, so we really connected on Buddhism actually, because it, it just reminded me of like a, just a good way to live, uh, principles to live by. Yeah. Uh, I, to all the people out there, I hope this doesn't... Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, right. I, I, I married a Buddhist, um, which I really had no idea what Buddhism was. And I have to tell you, after living with a Buddhist, this is no, I'm not saying it other religions or, or Buddhism isn't a religion. It's a way of life. Living with a Buddhist is freaking awesome. Yeah. And horrendous and horrendous because she is always in the moment. Everything is exactly the way it's meant to be. She never stresses about anything because she has complete faith in the divine that everything is already roadmapped. And, and some people struggle with that. You're talking to one. Yeah. I do too. I hate the fact that it's all laid out, but it, it there should be some comfort in it. But for some reason, there's a little bit of anxiety around it. You're like, I have no control. <laughs> what if my plan isn't good? <laughs> yeah. What if? Yeah. What if? What if I don't get what I dreamt of and stuff? It's like, well, you know, actually, I, I'm getting something bigger than what I dreamt of before. Like literally, right now in this moment. I see the things lining up for me. I have no clue how it's going to lay out, but I know it's going to be okay now at this point. And I know it's going to work out. And it's actually a bigger dream than I had originally. Let's let, I want to go, I want to go back to the show for a minute. And that's a beautiful point, which I want. I also want to come back. You've got so many beautiful points. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the show because the show wasn't necessarily just like uh, it wasn't thrown together. How did you meet the producers uh, yeah. uh, of the show? So Kelly was my first point of contact. Um, and she actually read the book Crazy Rich Asians six or seven years ago when it first came out. And she's been working on trying to get it to be a reality show because she was like, I actually know the real life Crazy Rich Asians. We should just make a show of this. So it spent six or seven years casting, trying to get the right producers. And then finally, uh, they got the right producers, right cast. And then she messaged me and said, hey, look, uh, things are changing. I saw your last video. You should come out here and date. And, you know, I'm a producer, but like, you know, maybe I can help you in movies and stuff. But anyway, she's like, I just think you're cool and attractive and just want to meet. I just so happened to be out there because I was doing a vi music video for Guy Tang. And uh, we met up and it was just like, sparks from there. It was like, we just literally hit it off and met Kane the same day that I met Kelly and Sheree and we just had fun. And then I moved out there and, uh, and literally maybe a couple of weeks into moving out there, she's like, you know, this, uh, guy dropped out of our reality show. Um, you want to, you want to be in it? You seem to get along with everybody. And I was like, yeah, I would love to, but you know, I don't want to hold their purses and bags though. Like, can I actually just be myself? And she's like, yeah, of course. I thought she maybe wanted like a, like a assistant or something or a, a, what do they call them when they're on set? Like, Runner. A, a, yeah. Like get their coffees and espresso. And I'm like, nah, I don't want to do that. Well, you ended up being the star. So you are the glue that, that binds the entire show together. Unbelievable, so, man. Yeah. I I was with you right as uh, not literally physically with you because we're not allowed because of COVID, but um, you and I talk a lot and the, the run up to the show and then the launch of the show. How is your life now? How is your, how, okay. This is a really, really important question. What is your, how is your life different than it was before the show? And how do you feel about Kevin now that the show mm. has come out? Those are great questions. If I forget one, please, you know, remind me. But that box behind me that says Blank Empire that Netflix sent in, uh, it came to my door on January 15th. And there were champagne flutes in it, a nice note. And literally, I was Zooming with a friend of mine working on a script together. And uh, I literally just started breaking down and crying. And he's like, what's wrong? You should be celebrating. I was like, no, man, this is tears of joy. This is 
14 years of living in basically almost poverty, living in very, very rigid, just watching my money because I never knew when my next paycheck was, taking the time to do all these interviews and podcasts and documenting my life for free, like all of this stuff and all of the hard work and sacrifice, the risks, like moving here to LA. That was a huge risk for me. I was supposed to go to Asia, start up my fitness business again. Took a risk. Like I took so many risks, took so many failures, five years in New York, just failing and just living miserably and just hopeless and just not knowing what this was all for. Literally all of that was in that box and was saying, this is the reason why you went through all of that. And I just started breaking down because I was like, it was worth it. It was so worth it. Just having this come to my doorstep, uh, whether it was a success or not, I, I didn't know at the time because it was the first day it launched, but I felt like don't change, you know, because you're good who you are. It's like, you've went through that 10 years of molding and fire and tribulations and testing. It's like now because of that, you are stronger. You had to go through that to become stronger, to now carry on more that's about to come your way. And it just told me that you're ready. Um, so for me, it's not about changing who I am at this point. There are some things that I want to change, obviously, but like those are just personality things that uh, I know for me and my personal relationships and just uh, maybe re-messaging now Asian masculinity, because now I get to be that message instead of just talking about it so much. So it's for other people now. You know, it's not just for me. It never was just for me, but it's for other people as well. And it really has to just be for the other people now. So that's how it's changed me a little bit. Um, and it's given me that sense of like, you know what? I have no clue what's going to happen now, but it really is going to be all right. It actually probably better than all right. It's going to be beyond my wildest dreams. And that, yeah. It's funny that you you raise you raise that point. I've heard I've heard similar uh, uh, things from other successful entrepreneurs, which is you get to, you know it's when one is in charge of one's own destiny, as you have been. Right, you've always yeah. worked for yourself. You've either been modeling or you, you you've been in charge of your your own destiny. There comes a point where when you have survived for as long as you have survived and thrived, and now you've had success in modeling, you've had success with the fitness business, you've, you've had success moving to LA. Moving to LA in itself, I think 80% of the people that come here ultimately leave after five years. Yeah, But you now have success, not just in a show, you're the lead in the show, on the most successful network in the world, and it stops being a coincidence, Kevin. Yeah. The successes come from you striving, from you reaching, from, from you. The phrase I, I love to use is education will only get you 65% of the way. The last 35% is a leap of faith. Mm. But 90 people stop at the 65-yard line. And I think the entrepreneurs like to leap. In fact, there is almost like a twisted enjoyment in not knowing what's coming. Uh, and so the doors are flung open for you to the future. What is, what's on the horizon? Uh, well, let's talk about season two. Sure. Season two happening? So we hope so. We still actually haven't heard a confirmation yet. It's only been... 30 days now or something like that, but it's, it, it's getting, it's getting intense and heated. We're having conversations between the cast and producers. So uh, we're, we're, we're hopefully going to just hit the floor running once we hear there's a green light for it. So um, we're very hopeful. We're, we're very, we, 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 I, couldn't see how there couldn't be. At oh, dude, it's happening. it's happening. I couldn't see how there couldn't be. It's happening. Yeah. But well, was, let's put it this way. You got sent something on the launch of your show that's behind you. I I, I didn't get anything. So I think that's an indication. <laughs> that's wow. an indication. No, your show is wicked good. It's super entertaining. If you haven't seen Bling Empire, you must have been vacationing on Mars for a, for a month <laughs> because it is all over everywhere on social media. It is the talk of the town. Uh, on a personal, and, I'm, and the, the podcast is not ending, but just on a personal level, you are one of the nicest people that I've ever met in LA, Kevin. 
You are genuine. You are giving. You are a, a sweet guy. Super kind of giving away of all the information that you know. And uh, and I, I I find you aspirational for me. I often think about you when I'm making you know, certain decisions like, you know, cause we talk about food and fitness yeah. and I'm like, Nope, Kevin wouldn't let me eat that. <laughs> or or put, put, put down that fourth cookie, you know, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'm never going to look like, I'm never going to look like Kevin anyway, because uh, you know, it was a toss up at the Abercrombie and Fitch store. It was going to be Kevin or me. It Kevin was. won it by, by just a, just a thread. Just one, just one ab. Apparently <laughs> I, I made it by one ab. <laughs> Um, so the doors are flung open the, you know, you're a young guy, the rest of your life is, is ahead of you. What is on the horizon? What are you, what are you cooking? So I'm still writing about, cause I think the stories of Asian and especially Korean adoptees are very underrepresented and just not well known. This is the first time I think the world is seeing the world through a Korean adoptee's eyes. And so I've been writing and hopefully can act in some of these projects and scripts, but like my whole main goal isn't to be a full-time actor. I, I want to act in the things that really mean something to me that I'm made for that represent me and the community I want to serve. But ultimately, like I'd love to have one production where I'm just doing the things that I want to do. I want to do talks like this. I want on a very big level, like you know, television and film or podcasting. But um, you know, how obvious I obviously want to want to work on products that align with uh, my mental health and spirituality and fitness. So all of that is just all intertwined of who I am and what I want the world to 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 get from whatever the years of experience I've done and the people like you come on to my show, like all of that stuff. I want, I want the world to see all of that and a little bit into my world. Um, beautiful stuff. I, I want to just drill down a little bit on, uh, you mentioned mental health. Yeah. Now I want to, I want to drill down on the fact that, that one of the biggest obstacles for entrepreneurs is when we all have that, Oh my God, it's never going to happen moment. Oh my God. You know, why isn't that guy calling me back? 80% of the time. Right. Right. Expectations. You always have to remind me about that. (laughs) Expectations are, are uh, expectations and perfection are the two biggest evils of success. I I believe. But when, when you're, you must've gone through moments, even with the Netflix show where you're like, shit, this is not happening. It's not going to get made. Oh my God. You know, how do you fight the, 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 in many of our cases, how do you fight the daily demons so that you can push through that self-doubt to success? Totally. Well, I think it does have to... Well, my first self-doubt was when I moved here a couple of weeks in and we didn't hear anything from Jeff, Jeff Jenkins, the producer, because uh, you know he was about to go pitch the show for a little bit. And I was like, pitch? What do you mean pitch? He's like, yeah, I mean, we took a sizzle reel and we need to pitch it. We need to sell it to people. And it's like, oh, you mean this? There's a chance this could not be made. He's like, absolutely. Like things don't get made all the time in Hollywood. I was like, oh my god, I just moved here. Everything I thought we were doing. So he's like, no, we were developing it, you know, uh, and we're gonna pitch it. And it, it, but everything just seemed aligned. So yeah, there was self doubt right there and everything. And I was like, oh my god, this is not gonna work out. Um, but what I do in times like that is I, I lean into people, right? Like people like you or uh, good buddies of mine who have experienced things like this before. And, you know, they always say the same stuff. It's like, dude, just self-care a little bit more, like lean in the faith, right? Like all of that stuff. And it's so true. So I had to just look at where I could do me. Like I could be kind to myself and not so hard on myself and what are, do the things that I, ha- I can do in front of me. And a lot of it was just writing or just saying yes to this job or that job, even though I didn't want to do it or meet this Mm -hmm. person or that. But now that the doors are open, I can say no to things for the first time, which is amazing. But I usually say no because it doesn't align with who I am and what I'm made for in this world. It doesn't align with my purpose that got me here to begin with. So anything that strays away from it too much you know, is going to not only get me off the wrong path, but also the people who've trusted me and followed me for so long, it'll get them off the wrong path too. So it's not like saying I won't take a brand endorsement or something, but if it's like, you know, I don't know, I I don't know what brands would actually go against with what I say, but it's like, if they don't understand who I am and what community I want to serve, 
they don't understand me, you know, and my brand. There's a couple of phrases that you use, Kevin, which I, th- I think are so powerful. And, and for me, the most, not always, but, but generally very successful people understand the concept of service mm. and not in a quid pro quo. People are not of service because they get something. Mm-hmm. People I find who are successful are of service because they just feel like it, it makes them feel better to be of service. And, and and the byproduct is when we are helping other folks or just just doing shit like this, just doing a podcast, sharing sharing ideas, you know, shooting the shit, going backwards and forwards. There might be someone sitting in Boise going, you know what, dude, I've been wanting to move to L.A. for a long time or New York or wherever. And, and you now have given them the inspiration to do that. And I think that coupled with there's another phrase that's so powerful which is to thine own self be true. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe that's a Bible quote. Or maybe it's Shakespeare. I think that was from the Matrix. Or was it? <laughs> or maybe it's a yeah, Matrix on quote. The top, of the, top of the thing. It's like, well, what's that say? It's in Latin. Didn't they say that? <laughs> maybe. Did they? Maybe. Well, let's just say they did, Kevin. I, think, I, I prefer that it's okay. from the Matrix than the Bible. <laughs> but yeah. you are in Hollywood now where you and I have both seen people's careers get derailed by you know, doing any old show or any old endorsement, any old mm. product and taking any old uh, part in, 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 in a film that might not be so good. So to already have that power of, of uh, you know what it is, ladies and gentlemen? Kevin has this, you're very centered. Mm. You're very, you know who you are. Yeah. You, you're not filled with... Um, you don't appear to be filled with any kind of insecurity and it's not like bravado or, you know, I'm the man. You just seem very centered and comfortable with, with, with who you are. But I think that's maybe because of the journey. Is it because of the journey you took of finding yourself? Yeah, definitely. I think because it wasn't an easy journey where my place in the world was just laid out for me. I I had to look for it. I had to keep searching for it. And, and, Actually, an ex-girlfriend of mine reminded me of that after Bling Empire aired. And she reached out and just said, hey, it looks like you found your place, you know. And then we started chatting and I was like, yeah, you know, we ended up our relationship really bad. I'm really sorry. Like, I was just not in a good place. I was lost. I didn't feel like I was belonging anywhere and I was trying too hard. And she's like, no, I get it. She's like, you were young. You didn't know what you were doing. I didn't know what I was doing. She like, and it was just like it, all, all good. You know, we're all happy. So, uh, yeah, it took a long time and a lot of pain to find my place in the world. So, anybody who is hopeless in finding it, you can find it. Like I had to find it. And but the thing is, I never kept my feet still. I kept my feet moving. And so, I think uh, a lot of times, too many people, when they're feeling that way, I, I can be guilty of this. Is I think I know what's best for me, so I'll say no to too many things. But you're like not in a position to say no yet. You don't know what you really want or where you belong to, because you'll be surprised if you just keep saying yes. You'll find it. Um, you know what I mean? Like I just kept saying yes to everything. Often the post reaches out. Yes, I have no clue how this is going to. Pre- perceived a model talking about not getting many matches, you know, or talking about not feeling sexy as a model. Like I was scared because it was like, this could go way over people's heads or this could hit home, but I had to trust myself and be like, okay. And then I, I did it. Um, and then so many people just reached out afterwards and I just kept saying yes. And now it's at a point where I can say no, because there are things coming my way that has nothing to do with what got me here and what I feel like I, I'm really talented at. Blowing my mind here. It's like uh, to have the steadfastness to, 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 to know oneself so uh, kind of intimately and not be not be guided by a thousand forms of fear because insecurity in Los Angeles, especially in the in the entertainment community, is 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 something that runs runs rampant. And I, um, I, I, I think one of the, the the big takeaways from this whole interview is, ladies and gentlemen, earlier on you heard Kevin say that he struggled for 15, 17 years, mm-hmm. right? But you stayed in the game. What gave you the strength to stay in the game? Why didn't you just quit and say, screw it? I'm going to go get a cushy job and buy uh, a house the, in Philly. The fear of regret. 
kind of just, uh, I didn't want to regret at this age at 37, maybe I would have a house with a kid and a wife probably divorced actually knowing me (laughs) (laughs) twice even, you know, and it's just, I didn't, I don't want that regret that I didn't live my purpose to something that just guided me like that inner compass I had, like I didn't want to ignore it. And even though it was leading me the wrong way, or at least it felt that way, it was actually leading me the right way the whole time. Um, And just so like following that inner compass had me in like, I don't want to live in regret. Um, and if I didn't try, then there's no way that I, I could be happy with myself. Um, and to see the world change in a, in a positive way and to be, not be a part of it. That was a little bit of FOMO, you know, I was like, well, what if things do happen? And it's like, you know, if I quit before the miracle happens. It's like, I get so much FOMO. So I know FOMO is like a bad thing, but it was a good thing for me because it was beyond myself. It was for other people and for a bigger purpose and cause. So I think FOMO in that way is a very healthy, good thing. FOMO of like, Oh, I'm just not going to get famous. You know, what if there's a Netflix reality show about all Asians who nobody thought about, you know, (laughs) yeah, you're going to, you're going to use the wrong way. It's, you know, it's so powerful what you just said, because you talked about mistakes, right? You mm-hmm. talked about making, uh, putting, putting one's foot in it and, and, and life changes that we can either live in regret or we can trust in the process. Trust. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, case in point is, you know, my wife, right? And my wife came from uh, the most horrendous uh, hours, us meeting, she came escaping a country that was was uh, being gripped by war. She was a Vietnamese boat person, right? I was a crazy dude in British club land, <laughs> and kind of bur- burned too many bridges and ran away to America. And yeah. she could have wallowed in self-pity and I could have wallowed in self-pity and you could have wallowed in self-pity. But instead, we just trusted the process. And a friend of mine called Solomon. Uh, I, I sat down, I sat down with him to have lunch a few years ago. And I, I said, I regretted a bunch of stuff that I did. And he said these beautiful words to me, which were Pete, you should never regret anything because it's just one patch on the patchwork quilt of your life. Mm. And they're all connected. And as long as it leads to something that's beautiful, never beat yourself up. That's beautiful. But I would also say this too. It's normal to being self-pity for a second or two or whatever. It's just more like how long are you going to stay in there for? And for me, I just rather not stay in there for as, for as little as possible. Um, and the actions of whatever you're doing next really get me out of it. It's like, you know, you feel, you feel by taking the right actions, not you feel, then you take the actions. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think I messed that one up, but I'm just saying like, I I really believe just keep moving, keep doing the thing and it'll appear for you. Stay in action and the head will follow, uh, stay in action and out of expectations. You know, action is everything, right? Seriously is. And sometimes it doesn't seem like the right one, but it usually is still, even if it messes things up. Oh, that's another thing. I wanted to be an actor. And so I had to say goodbye to acting. And I was just like, I just don't feel like, why? Why does this feel so horrible? And But like, I was so narrow-minded. I was like, I just want to be an actor. There's no way. And then this reality show came up and I'm like, but I want to be an actor, you know? And guess what? I enjoy it more. I enjoy unscripted, you know, it's like, I enjoy just being myself more than actually acting. So it's like, wow, I really didn't know what was good for me at the time, but it showed up. I did it and everything just falls into place. Which was your favorite episode? Are you allowed to say? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Um, South Carolina, going to South Carolina in episode seven was definitely oh, was my awesome. favorite episode. Yeah, for sure. I loved it. Love traveling with Kane, love traveling and snooping around. And <laughs> it was just so much fun. And, and, and then off camera, I presume, I, I, I mean, I'm sure everybody's really super cool because I mean, it's a reality show. So you're filming them as who they are, right? So totally. when, I imagine when the com- cameras go off, you're still having a riot. Totally. I mean, actually, there were points where we just kept going and they were done filming. The camera crew was like, oh, my God, we should have kept the cameras on. It's like, well, 
this is just us all the time anyway. Like you could literally have it on us 24 seven. You'd have 80 seasons by now. Like there's always something going on. Um, and so I don't know. Part of me was just like hard to hang out sometimes afterwards. Cause I'm like, Oh, the camera should be here. But I'm like, dude, we're just like this. It's like, there will always be content and funny things and fun stuff. It's just because we're, it's, it's the real crew. It's like the real deal. Um, what has been the reaction from the Asian community? It was slow in the beginning. The Asian community was not behind it. Um, slowly now, even still, some outlets who advocate for Asian content still haven't really advocated for it. Um, but the people, the fans and writers are now starting to really see the positive impact on it, even giving it a chance. And, you know, most Asians don't watch reality TV shows, I would say. But this one, they made an exception for and fell in love with it. So it's uh, the the everybody but Asians in the beginning loved it. And now Asians are starting to embrace it now. That's what it seems like. Oh, it's such a great show, dude. I mean, yeah. it looks like you guys just turned. It looks like it was just a riot from beginning to end. And you got to eat in all these fabulous places and hang out in these awesome spots. Oh, my God. We still do. It's like, I mean, I went to, I went to Cherie's birthday and uh she just had these random dinners at like michelin star restaurants and i'm like this is a michelin star restaurant i was like this is the first one that i'm even conscious of eating at you know it's like i'm used to like taco trucks and stuff or you know ramen and it's just like she's like you've never been to one i was like not that i know of (laughs) but it was just it's just wild like they're just lovely people we hang out all the time Oh, it's so great. Well, I know everybody, listen, I, I, I'm not a gambling man. And if I, I, if I was, I would be betting everything I have on season two coming. It's, it's a no brand. I mean, dude, you were, you're here around the world. You're number one in how many countries? Uh, at least 20, 20, I think it was. Come on. Yeah. Well, definitely at least Singapore, Hong Kong, I believe it was, and some other Asian countries, but top 10 in at least 23 countries, apparently. Okay. Yeah, it was great. Um, not yeah. bad for your first first Netflix show then. Yeah. yeah, and first season. So first season. Yeah. First oh, season. Oh, Kevin, you are just such a joy. Will you come back and see us again on the podcast another time? Absolutely. I love being here. Yeah. Yeah. It's so great. Um, if you have been living under a you wouldn't have even got to the end of the podcast, but in case you don't know where to find Bling Empire. Just launch that pretty little red icon on your phone or on Apple TV or wherever it is. Bling Empire, Kevin Creeder. It is absolutely brilliant. You are a delight. You are a mate. I am honored to be in your life. And I cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast, Kevin. Thanks for having me, Peter. Love it. You are a god. Thank you. No, don't say that, please. No, no. De- demigod? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just uh, thank you. Awesome, dude. Thank you. Awesome. That's about it for the podcast this week. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll be back again next week with another topic and another great podcast. So don't forget to hit that button and subscribe. Until next time, take care, and I will see you later.